Let me ask you some Christmas in July questions. How would you know the wise men were the good guys? I mean, we know because, well, we know the whole story, right? (laughs) Uh, But if you lived in Jerusalem when they blew into town, how would you know? Oh, yeah, they're exotic, they're rich, they're impressive. And they seemed to have their pulse on the times because everybody in Jerusalem was confident the Messiah was going to show up soon. And here they were looking for him, saying he had been born. But they were astrologers. Yeah, I know, people back then wouldn't have known or cared much about the difference between astrology and astronomy. But but still, they weren't scribes or Pharisees. How much could they know about the law? And they were, after all, foreigners and not Jews at all. So how could a person in Jerusalem know they could be trusted? How could a person in Bethlehem, say a particular carpenter named Joseph, know they could be trusted? Well, he had extra help. I mean, this was, after all, a major one-time event that nothing in history paralleled. But what about regular people? How could they know to which teachers they should listen? How about after the first advent was over and the second was promised? How could his followers know to which teachers they should listen? And we're in the same boat. In his letter to the Philippian church, Paul has given them some wonderful examples of teachers to follow, obviously Jesus, but himself also, and Timothy, and their own pastor Epaphroditus. And then he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Well, that's nice, Paul. And yeah, you're kind of redundant. Same thing. I mean, how many times are you going to tell us to rejoice? But hey, what do you mean safe? We need the safety of rejoicing. Why? Are we in danger? Look out for the dogs! Look out for the evildoers! Look out for those who mutilate the flesh! Whoa, Paul! <laughs> Trying to give us a heart attack here? Why are you so excited? Why this abrupt warping of the conversation? Why is it so important that you would bellow at us like this? How would anyone know the wise men were the good guys? Well, the scribes and Pharisees who said they were the good guys were really the dogs and evildoers who mutilate the flesh. How do we know the difference between a good teacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ and an evil one? It would appear that, to this great apostle of Christ Jesus, that this is no idle question. And Paul follows up his diatribe against false teachers with the reason they should be carefully, they should carefully watch out for them. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now we're going to skip the reference to circumcision for the moment. Let's just state that those who are true followers of Christ have no business listening to false teachers. (laughs) Obviously. After here identifying himself with his Philippian brothers as the true followers of Christ, Paul then goes on to give them an example of an evil-doing dog who mutilates the flesh, someone from the past, himself. 
Then he talks about dealing with that sort of major guilt, and we're going to join him in that next time. But after that, he returns to his warning and a reminder. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. The second direct reference to false teachers is a brief reminder of what he had taught them when he was with them. It consists of four issues concerning false teachers with which they and we should be familiar. The end result of their rebellion against God, what it is they truly worship, how they see their own behavior, and their primary motivation. And before we get into these details, let's ask an obvious question. How important is it to be able to recognize false teachers? Besides yelling about it, it brought Paul to tears when he talked about it. And Jesus warned about false teachers. Peter emphatically warned against them. Jesus' half-brother James spoke derisively of their wisdom of the world as opposed to that of heaven. Jude, another half-brother of Jesus, wrote most forcefully, decisively denouncing them. In fact, every single New Testament writer warns about false teacher. Every one. As does most every Old Testament writer. This could be important. (laughs) If you can't recognize a false teacher, how will you know when you hear false teaching? Paul's review of his teaching was that those who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ will end up destroyed. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame and have minds set on earthly things. Let's go back to when Paul first startled us all and pick up the related three from that. He called them dogs, evildoers, and those who mutilate the flesh. Now, evildoers, that's pretty straightforward. The other two might take a bit of explanation. Dogs were not domesticated in the first century Israel. They're nothing like our pets are to us. They were vicious, sneaky, dirty, disease-ridden predators. But just as importantly, they were also considered spiritually unclean. Everything in a Jew's life revolved around clean and unclean. One would not so much as touch the unclean. Food, person, animal, some place, anything that was unclean. So Paul is saying these false teachers were also spiritually unclean. And now we come to that really difficult one to understand, mutilators of the flesh. The statement is so strongly based in the culture of that day that it definitely needs some explanation. Remember that immediately following this last statement of what they do, Paul gives his reason to watch out for these vicious, evil teachers. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So in saying those who mutilate the flesh, he is talking about those who demand the circumcision. That is to say, Jewish religious teachers who say they accept Jesus, but only if, only if you live by the old rules, their rules. Well, if we live by the old rules, your rules, why would we even need Jesus? Exactly. Jesus makes no difference if your own set of rules supersedes or even pretends to be on the same level as the cross. 
The exact center of Christianity is the sacrifice of the Son of God in our place on the cross and nothing else. So, is circumcision an evil thing? No. Before Jesus came and brought the new covenant of grace, this was the sign that was used to show a man wanted to be a part of the people of God. But it's just a sign. The Old Testament is rife with statements like, Circumcision of the heart. Physical circumcision never saved anyone. It was only ever a sign that was supposed to indicate the condition of the heart. To show a willingness to sacrifice everything for the one who would give all for them. If anyone tries to put anything before or next to the cross, they deny Christ. So let's review. In fact, you could make a seven-point checklist for this talk, yes, but, but also for whenever you evaluate anyone's teaching. This is what it would look like. False teachers are dogs. Well, for our purpose, we'll say unholy. They practice evil. They deny Christ. And the four other points Paul made was that their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. This means they seek their own pleasure rather than the glory of God or the good of others. They glory in their shame. That means they say the evil that they do is really good. And they should be applauded for doing it. And last, they have their minds set on earthly things rather than on heavenly things. All right, you got it? Go over it again. False teachers are unholy, they practice evil, they deny Christ, their end is destruction, they seek their own pleasure and not the glory of God, they glory in their shame, calling evil good, they think earthly things rather than heavenly. All right, we're set. Now let's use the checklist. Let's take a look at some of the teachings in Scripture about false teachers, sometimes called prophets, and how it lines up in the list that the Apostle Paul gave to the Philippian church. And how about we start 700 years before the Son of God even took on human form. This is Hebrew poetry, so you'll see pairs of statements throughout. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. These are clearly unholy men who practice evil. They glory in their shame, drunks who are proud of it. They are cheaters. Why? For money, which evil people have always spent to gain earthly things that bring them pleasure. They deny the teachings of God because they think more about what they can get now than what God desires of them. Guarding the rights of the innocent. And the woe, yeah, that should tell us something about what happens to them. Here's another exercise. Jesus said a lot about false teachers. He said false prophet since he was talking to Jews. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? 
So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. False teachers can look good, innocent, like they're really here to help you. But the truth is they intend to use you. So Jesus, speaking before Paul, nevertheless agrees with him. The best way to tell if a person is a false teacher is to watch them and see what their teaching produces. When Becky and I first had our kids, there was a famous pediatrician, Dr. Benjamin Spock. You remember his name? Now, he seemed to say, some argue, throw out all that Bible teaching about raising kids and just do it this way. He was called the per- prince of per- permissiveness, if you hadn't heard. But Even when his own grandson committed suicide, people kept buying his books. <laughs> I do wish they'd instead listen to Jesus. Now, maybe they don't for this reason. And what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. Paul meaning himself there. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Dr. Spock may not have understood who he was and what he was doing, but the reality is that he was promoting the destructive agenda of Satan. But he looked so good, so learned. He had so much education. Yeah, he did. But the fruit of his labor, even in his own family... And then, wow, what about religious teachers? If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. No one can accuse Paul of holding back his thoughts. (laughs) But proud teachers, watch out for proud teachers. They really don't understand. And they love quarrels. Silly arguing about which words should be used where. Like they're magic incantations instead of discovering what words mean. And what do they produce? Envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, constant friction. You really can't tell where people are coming from by watching the results of their teaching. This that last one that really interests me. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now, of course, the number of pseudo-Christian and other religious groups where the leaders are patently seeking for wealth is legion. Paul did say many were enemies of the cross. But there are other things to gain beyond money. Uh, Many seek other things. A really common one in men is seeking women. (laughs) We'd have to be pretty unaware of the world to not recognize that a whole lot of leaders seek for higher positions specifically because it increases their chances of taking advantage of more women. I mean, power is a big one. 
How many people have tried to gain control via leadership? But gain at all. Is it just the leaders Paul is talking about? Or is it possible he is saying that the people they mislead come to godliness, religion, not to honor God, but to gain something for themselves? If we come to salvation for any purpose, gain, but to bring God glory, we've sinned. I I wonder, maybe we should stop trying to get people to come to Christ because of the benefit to them, but rather say, do it because it's the right thing to do. I, we we can't say, I say, don't you want eternal life? Uh, is that really where we should start? Maybe we should tell them of the glory of God, their creator, that the reason that they should give their life to him is because it belongs to him anyway. And it's a duty to give it to him. I don't know. Maybe we, maybe we start. To, I don't I'm not sure. But at least we should think about it. <laughs> okay. Are we good for spotting these guys? We know how to do that. It takes time. You've got to watch them to see what happens. See if they are seeking for themselves or for God and others. And what's their motive? It takes time. So now we know how to spot them. What do we do? <laughs> what do we do about these false teachers? Both to them, and I suppose we could say opposite to them. There's a single section where Paul wrote to another of the churches he started where he covers a lot of this. He starts by saying, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. Do not become partners with them. Is this too obvious? (laughs) Don't promote these people to others. Don't send them money. Don't buy from them. Don't vote for them. Don't dress like them. Don't do anything to help them. Well, I don't know if he's a false teacher. He's just so nice. Then don't partner with them until you know they are a good teacher. And not only because you don't want to make it possible for them to spread their lies, because it's not good for you. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Don't partner with those who deceive with empty words. But even more than that, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead... Expose them. (laughs) Oh, goody. We don't just have to avoid being partners with these people. Now we have to show how what they do is evil. Well, that's going to go over well. (laughs) For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Hmm. If I'm understanding what Paul is saying, maybe when we expose their evil deeds, they might just turn to Christ. They might become light through Christ. Maybe they can turn and become a candle burning for him. Or maybe some people whom they have misled will listen. So look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Best use of the evil time is the best use of our time exposing evil deeds? I guess if it brings others to the light, it is. Perhaps we should examine our own lives and those around us and see what shameful evil we can expose. (laughs) That's a really uncomfortable thought. (laughs) 
But he does say, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord. Understanding the will of the Lord. Exposing people's sins? We'll come back to that. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Avoid the very shameful things these people do. It's not limited to just drunkenness. That's just an illustration. And then address one another. You see a great difficulty some have. You've run into them, I bet. They don't get together with other Christians. I don't want to be identified with all those hypocrites. (laughs) You heard that one? So how can they address one another at all? (laughs) And the reference to music, it's also synecdoche, the technical word. It's an illustration that is a part for the whole. Basically, he's saying to get together and do what we're doing today. That's, That's what he's saying. We are doing the right thing. And let's do it with thanksgiving. Ah, and with one more little part, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There have been a few people in my life who were more than happy to point out how I was supposed to submit to them, (laughs) but they weren't too keen on the idea of their submitting to me out of reverence for Christ, if the thought had even crossed their minds. Ah, you've probably never run into anybody like that And all of this is to protect us against the evil teaching that is out there. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Or as John so beautifully phrased it, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. It sounds so simple. And it is so simple, but it's not easy. And it takes time to learn to do it well. Time and spiritual growth. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You want to know how to distinguish teachers who are good from those with an evil bent? You have to be trained by constant practice. Spiritual maturity is reached by hard, consistent work. There is no easy path. You can't simply sit in the pew and get get it by osmosis. Uh, You know that. We have to study constantly and consistently. In the music world, when I used to teach, we'd tell kids, perfect practice makes perfect. (laughs) Practice right, you can play right. Learn to live correctly yourself, and then you can distinguish good from evil, whether it be teachers or anyone else. The Ephesian church must have gotten it, because later the glorified Christ sent them a note through John in which he said, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. He complimented them. We need to test teachers to see if they are false or true. Are holy or not? Do they practice good or evil? Do they preach Christ or deny him? Are they seeking their own pleasure or the glory of God? Do they glory in their shame, 
calling evil good? Do they think on earthly things rather than heavenly? All this knowing that if they practice evil, their end is destruction. The very last book of the Bible tells the story of what will be at the end of this age when God makes a new creation for all who love him. But outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Their end is destruction. They are excluded from this fantastic new creation. But us... What happens when we do avoid these guys? (laughs) So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. It is our duty to abide in Jesus' words. Ah, but when we do. Don't misunderstand. Later, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This learning to determine false, evil teachers from those who teach truth is about getting to know Jesus Christ. For he does not just embody truth, he is truth. When we learn truth, we can see that which is not truth. And although we are doing our duty, we will be rewarded for our good work. Rewarded in the new creation. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. We'll finally see the teacher. (laughs) And we won't have to look out anymore. Father, thank you that one day, all this we have to worry about now with people trying to deceive us and Satan leading people astray. One day that will be gone. It won't even be a worry. It won't even be on our consciousness. We won't even have to think about it. Everything will be perfect. Everything will be right. We will see you. We will see your son. We will know truth, absolutely. But right now we need the help in determining who it is to whom we should listen. Who is it whose voice we need to pay attention to? And who should we not pay attention to? Indeed, (sighs) expose their evil. Hmm. Not a pleasant thought there. But I know you will be with us. So help us, Lord, as we do our best to live for you and towards you, trying to live truth, that is, to live Jesus Christ. Help us to discern those people that we have to watch out for and those to whom we really should listen. And help us to support one another as we do this. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message first heard at Living Hope Church of Westport. Please feel free to visit us online at southbeachhope.org. 
We are so pleased that we can worship with you via sermon.net, but hopefully we will someday be able to pray God together in person, if not in Westport, at least in the rapture.